Well, between the holidays, sickness, and snow, I'm looking around saying, you know, we did pretty good today. I actually expected the crowd to be a little smaller. So I'm just pre- I'm pretending we got a huge crowd online right now. Don't, don't shake your head if they're not there. Well, I'm just going to pretend. But it's great to see everybody who, who uh, braved the elements, I guess. Now, if we had an early morning service, that would have been a little more challenging. Two o'clock, there's not much challenge to that. But, you know, last week I preached a message entitled, No Fear. Everybody remember that, right? Yep. Yes, yes. If you didn't and you said yes, God forgive him for lying. But toward the end of the message, I don't know, it's, I had a person or two come up to me because you probably sensed the shift that took place in the message. Uh, and that is... God really took us a different direction toward the end of that message. And I was talking about walking after the spirit and not after the flesh. I was talking about where God was getting ready to take us before I had even heard really a lot of finality on some things. Um, But not just in location, although I'm going to talk about that on Wednesday. But more even speaking about where God wants to take us spiritually. Because, you know, when you go on a journey, it's not just moving from building to a building It's moving into the realm of what God has designed for you. There's a spiritual connotation that's much more important than the building location itself. Everybody know that? If not, you're going to know it. You're going to see it. It's going to transpire right before your eyes. And even though I touched on that last week, I was in prayer this week, and I really feel like God's wanting to revisit some things that we briefly touched on last week, but maybe through a little bit of a different lens. And so I want to go to the book of Genesis, chapter 37, and verse 1. It says, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah. So if anybody's looking for good baby names, I just gave you two right there. His father's wives and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children uh, because he was the son of his old age. You're not supposed to love your kids more one than the other, but my mom struggled with that too with me and my sister. But um, I won't say which one, but and she's not even here to appreciate that joke. She is. No, but I'm talking about my sister. <laughs> I see my mom there. I just didn't see my sister. <laughs> because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Today, I want to speak on this topic, the, the character test. The character test. Anyone here like tests? There are two people in the room that like tests. Awesome. Well... We're all going to go on a test, multiple tests, not multiple choice tests, multiple tests in our lives, whether we want to or not. Jesus, we love you. Thank you. We just celebrated Thanksgiving, but let Thanksgiving not be one day in November. Let it be a lifestyle, Lord God. Help us. Lord, we honor you. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Church, go ahead and raise your voice. We're a praying church. I don't want you to just listen to me pray. Let's, let's open our hearts right now. Why don't you talk to the Lord right now for a moment for yourself. Jesus, God, we want to hear from you, Lord. We want this message to be something that speaks to us, that 
convicts us, challenges us, changes us, builds us up, Lord God, that encourages us. We want to be what you want us to be, God. And so, Lord, help prepare, Lord, me as the the, the conduit, but help prepare us, Lord, as the recipient, Lord, to, Lord, take this and and, and, and really introspectively look at ourselves, Lord God. In your name we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Look at your neighbor. And tell them what the favorite thing was that you ate at Thanksgiving. All right. Some of you did it. Some of you chose not to. That's all right, though. I'm just going to try and keep you awake now. Joseph was Jacob's favorite son for many reasons. One of the main reasons was that he was the firstborn of Rachel, the wife that Jacob really, really loved. If there was any question about Jacob's intentions regarding Joseph's future, he removed all doubt when he placed a special garment on his son. The implication is that the robe for Joseph set him apart from his other brothers. Why? Well, because even today, the clothes you put on your body still sets you apart from others. That's a whole nother message, though. Genesis 37, verse 4, it says, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him, could not speak peaceably about him or unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told his brethren, and they hated him even the more. He said unto them, Hey, here I pray you, the dream is what I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. My sheaf arose, stood upright. Your sheaves bowed down to me. Uh, Siblings don't take that well. And so they said, are you saying you're going to reign over us? That you're going to have dominion over us? They hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. He dreamed another dream, and he made the same mistake probably of telling his brother about it again and said, oh, I got a better one. Behold, the sun, moon, and 11 stars made obeisance to me. And he told his father to his brethren, and his father didn't take well to that either. And he says, what's this dream? Uh, Me and your mom are also going to bow down to you. And his brothers envied him, but his father observed the saying. Even though his father maybe didn't take well to it, there's something about him that's going, hmm, God's speaking to this child. You know, you can spend a lot of time. I think there's like 50 chapters on on, on this. It's a long time, okay? Uh, But Joseph and his dreams, they... You read them and you, and you study them and, and they literally, they go south figuratively and literally. <laughs> Meaning Joseph's like, I got this dream. Everybody's bowing to me. His brothers decide, well, we're just going to kill him. But then one brother says, no, 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 we can't kill our brother. Let's just lower him down in a pit. That's why I say literally and figuratively. He lowered down, went down south. And so lowered down into a pit. And uh, then they decide, you know what, let's make some money off the guy. Let's sell him to some traders, and at least we'll, you know, we can, we, he, he's out of our lives. We'll just tell dad an animal killed him. We'll dip the coat of many colors in blood, send him off, takes care of our problem. We all share a little money in our pocket. Some of you might have siblings. You're getting an idea. Don't, in the name of Jesus, I come against that spirit. It's not a good idea. But Joseph then is sold to Potiphar, and he exceeds and excels all of expectations there. And the Bible says he's a prosperous man, and everything Joseph touched prospered. So God's blessings were upon him richly. 
But Potiphar's wife lies about him after he resists her attempts at seduction. And many Bible scholars think that Potiphar didn't even believe his own wife or have complete trust in her fidelity. Potiphar could have had Joseph executed for this. Instead, he just sends him to prison, which if you're kind of second in command in Egypt and someone tries to rape your wife, chances are he probably would have killed Joseph. So I probably would agree with the fact that he maybe questioned his wife's fidelity in just throwing Joseph in prison. But nevertheless, Joseph goes to to prison for a crime he did not commit. He gets thrown in jail where he even finds favor now with the keeper of the prison. So much favor that Joseph is pretty much given the keys going, hey, you're my right-hand man. It seems like everywhere he goes, he's that right-hand man, second in charge, but never in complete control. And so he's given the keys and keep an eye on this and all, even the other prisoners, they start to come to him with matters and, and he, he finds favor once again. But then in prison, he interprets dreams of Pharaoh's butler and baker. I mean, how bad do you have to be as a baker to mess something up so bad that you get thrown in prison over it? I mean, you had to, you had to really burn a lot of cinnamon rolls to get thrown into prison over baking. But they have dreams, and Joseph interprets their dreams, tells them what's going to happen, and sure enough, it happens. One of them says, you know, when I get back in the kingdom, I'm going to remember you. I'm going to tell Pharaoh all about you, but then he forgets. So Pharaoh sits in care. I mean, uh, Joseph sits, continues to rot in that prison. But finally, when Pharaoh has a dream himself and the magicians can't interpret this dream, the butler finally remembers, oh, my goodness, wait, there was a guy who interpreted my dream, and I ended up getting restored just like he said. And the baker, yeah, yeah, he, he also got what he said too. And Pharaoh says, you got to go get this guy for me. Get him in here. I want to talk to this guy. And Pharaoh begins to, or, and Joseph begins to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. But boy, you know, what a crazy road of some ups and downs. At a young age to go, I got the favor of my, my parents. I got the favor of my dad. I got a coat of many colors. I'm set apart. God's speaking to me. I have dreams of big things. And then all of a sudden, sometimes when your dreams are too big, even those closest to you aren't big enough to celebrate with you. And so... He starts to share his dreams, but then all these things begin to happen. But in the midst of all these things, God's hand is upon him. But he still has to go through all these things. God could have easily just said, you know what I called you? I gave you the dream. Let's get it. Boom. And set him in that spot. God anoints David, says you're anointed to be the king. God could have picked David up, set him in that spot. Abraham, I'm going to give you a child. You're going to have some little, you're going to the sands of the sea, the stars and sky. He could have had that happen. Boom, set Abraham in that spot. But he doesn't. Over and over again, story after story in scripture, we read about people who when they receive great promises, they also go through great trials. Now, I think all of us here, if we said, would we want great things by, uh, used, used of God, great things in our life? I think the, the majority of us would say, yeah. But is it worth the trade? 
do I want to be used mightily if I know that it might be attached to great trials? I mean, that's why he says many are called, few are chosen. Because Joseph was about 17 years old when he sold into slavery. And he didn't stand before Pharaoh where his whole life changed until he was 30. 13 years of ups and downs. 13 years of not feeling like God has actually fulfilled the dream he's given you. But I read it once, that's a statement that said the, the true measure of a person is found in what it takes to make that person quit. The true measure of a person is what it takes to make you quit. You see, Joseph's brothers finally do come before him, and they bow down just like he dreamed many years earlier. And in Genesis 42, 3, it says, Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob, sent not with his brethren... For he said, lest peradventure mischief befall him. And the sons of Israel come to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he said it was sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Thirteen years earlier, he's having dreams. They're saying, I am buying it, but they don't recognize him when they come in there. Joseph hadn't even met, doesn't even, not even aware of Benjamin until he starts to hear about things. And, and so he's going, all right, he's not here. I'm going to send for him. I want, I want, and he starts playing some games with his brothers. But Genesis 37, 6, it says, he said to them, I hear, I pray, this dream that I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. Lo, my sheaf arose and stood upright. Remember when he said this to them? There was a time where they were like, that'll never happen. But God had given him a dream. Before his brothers ever bowed down, though, I want you to see something about that. Look at verse 7. It says, when we were binding sheaves in the field, lo, my sheaf arose and stood upright. Behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. Before God can ever fulfill the dreams that he's given you, I see something in this verse that still speaks to me right now. If you want to be mightily used of God, before there's ever a fulfillment of the dream, your sheaf first has to stand upright. Meaning before God can accomplish in you, to you, through you, around you, what he desires for you, you first have to stand the test of time and do it in an upright manner. And that's what he did with Potiphar's wife in the prison and now again with his brothers. You don't think he wanted to stand there or when they threw him in the dungeon that occasionally he was like, man, if I could just get my hands on them. You don't think it was hard for him to forgive them when they let him down. Joseph needed to stand upright, not just in a physical sense, but also in a spiritual sense, forgiving his brothers. Before Joseph was ever elevated, before his brothers ever came down and, and to bow down before him, before God would make him the second most powerful man in the world. Joseph needed to stand upright. Joseph needed to go through seasons, seasons that would get him ready for this very moment. 
Now, I know we want to be used by God. We want to get to the next season, even corporately as a church. But what I feel like God keeps going, and I'm going to do it again next week in a different manner, is I feel like God keeps going. You're getting close, but there's still things on the inside I want to work on. Because for us to go to where he's calling us to be, not just location, not just personally, corporately, as a church, he's calling for us to go, I just, there's some more things I need to take you through because I'm just developing you into who I'm calling you to be. And that's done through the, the trial through the challenge, through the circumstance, through the issues, through the things that, where we go through them and he says, just trust me, just trust me. I got this. Just keep walking, hear my voice, and when you don't, keep walking and trust me anyway. You see, when he finally comes and Joseph is standing before Pharaoh, he gets done interpreting Pharaoh's dreams and look what happens in Genesis 41, verse 28. After all this, lowered in the pit, lied on by Pharaoh's wife, gets out, interprets the dreams. They forget about him. He's still in the prison. So now he gets called to stand before Pharaoh. I wonder if he's let those dreams from 13 plus years earlier, if he's kind of just set those aside, been like, forget that. Obviously, it's not happening. Maybe, it, maybe I misunderstood. You ever think you heard from God and then it doesn't transpire in the way or the timing that you, you thought it was going to and you go, well, maybe I missed it. So Pharaoh, or, uh, Joseph stands before Pharaoh and he says, this will happen as I have described it. He explains this whole dream that Pharaoh has. He says, for God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he's about to do. He's telling Pharaoh, God, what you're seeing, he's, he's given you the upcoming years. There's going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. He starts explaining this. He says, the next seven years are a period of great prosperity. But afterwards, and he says, there are going to be seven years of famine. And he says, famine will destroy the land, Pharaoh. And in verse 31, there will, the famine's going to be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. You're, it's going to get so bad, you won't even remember when it felt good. In verse 32, he says, and as for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God and he will soon make them happen. Therefore, because of everything I've just said, Joseph says, Pharaoh, you got to find yourself an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Boy, he's been on a journey. He's changed a little bit, hasn't he? Because he starts off going, dream, guys, guys. Listen, I got a dream. You all were bowing down to me. Guys, guys, listen, I had a second dream. The sun, moon, and stars have made obeisance to me. This is awesome. But then life happened. And he now stands before Pharaoh and never says, I mean, I could help out if you need me to. I mean, I'm a pretty intelligent guy. I hear from God. A matter of fact, I've had dreams there. People bowed down to me, and they, you know, this is a good time where they could bow down to me. And so if you want, I can apply. But from what I see here, Joseph, it never even dawns on him that he could be this guy. He just says, 
here's the dream, here's what God's saying, so what you should do is this. And in his mind, probably the assumption is there, I'm done, I'm heading back to prison. Because when God speaks and things don't happen in the timing and the way and the season that you think that at some point, you almost can become cynical to go, well, I guess it's never going to happen. And so he had been let down by his brothers, by Potiphar's wife, by the people that forgot him, that it's almost like, well, that's all you needed, right? I'm heading back to prison. The Pharaoh, of course, goes, what better of a guy to do that? than you. It's almost like, you know, Joseph stands before him. But for God to finally fulfill your dreams, you know what it's going to take? He, he, sometimes he'll fulfill your dreams when you're willing to give up yours to fulfill his. And Joseph was a man of integrity. Before God could ever mightily use him, certainly there were dreams, but he first needed to stand upright in the midst of all of the, the challenges and the trials and the circumstances. Even ourselves on this four-year journey, this has not been somebody let us down, we missed that, didn't have a high enough price offered here. Like it was, it, it's not that. God has been working on us for four years. And he's not quite done. And I actually pray he never gets done doing that. Because we're never gonna reach the point where I go, you know what? <laughs> Got the Holy Ghost when I was Six? I'm kind of a finished product now. I mean, I don't really see any areas he can improve on anymore. I pray to God nobody tuned into the live stream just right there. Because <laughs> they are like, what in the world? If y'all are... Choosing these videos, choose the whole clip, not just a, not just a little. If that reels needs to be a little longer. But no, I'm not sure that we have all fully understood the journey yet. You're going to hear about it on Wednesday, but even in hearing about it, it's a journey that continues. Because everything we do individually and corporately is a faith journey. Even going, well, we found our new location. We're going to just move in and start services on this date. And here's the square footage, and here's how much it costs. Woo, now we just, Scott Furry, here we go. That's not the end of the journey. That's just the beginning of the next chapter. Because we're always going, oh, God, this is one chapter. I can't wait to go to the next chapter and the next chapter and the next chapter about what God has planned for you and for the church, church as a corp, corporate body. And so Joseph's journey is what allowed him to look backward and say this to his brothers in Genesis 50 and verse 20. He says, you intended to harm me. 
He says, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. And God is bringing us as a church to a position, to a location, to a place that we're going to save many people. Not just because, oh, yeah, we got it all together, but because there are things that we have heard, known, experienced, walked in that will change people's lives. You see, gold might be intriguing, highly desired. Everyone seems to want gold, gold, white gold, platinum gold. But in order to come forth as gold, one has to be put in the crucible. That that doesn't look fun. Marriotto Jewelers doesn't show that. You walk in and there's just like, you know, if you see every kiss begins with K. They don't show this. They show people doing weird stuff like getting engaged and jumping in pools. Like who does this? It's weird. Strange. But a crucible is a ceramic or metal container in which metals or other substances may be melted or subjected to very high temperatures. A crucible is a place of transformation. God uses the crucible of hardships, adversities, and suffering, and he does it to bring us face to face with what? With ourselves. Sometimes we think, this is, these are things done to me. People let me down. People hurt me. These people are annoying. They're not getting back to me. They're letting me down. Family's doing this. Friends are doing this. The job's doing this. And everything is a victim mentality about what everyone else is doing to me. When very often, it is God going, no, no, no. I'm leading you into this to develop you into who I want you to be. A confrontation, when, when you see a confrontation that affords a tremendous opportunity to become more like him, that's what the crucible is. He is more interested I say this, and I'll say it again, and I will keep saying this. As hard as it is for us to think and imagine and accept, he is much more interested in our development than he is our comfort. We want to think of God as a person that just, he wants me happy. God, I want this job. Please go get it. It's kind of like the attitude of Samson. I saw a good-looking woman, mom and dad, go get her for me. Because the flesh has desires. I want this job. It'll pay more and be better hours. Go get it for me, Jesus. Jesus' name. I think I told you this story. We used to have a preacher come to Wisconsin. He came a couple times. Man, oh, man. I don't want to talk ill of the man of God, but he was like my least favorite preacher ever. He's not in our organization, doesn't... But he'd always just say, you need something, you just say grace, grace. I was like, what? I'm a little kid. And I'm like, that don't even sound right to my 12-year-old mind. 
He's like, I went on an airplane and I just wanted a first class seat. So I said, Grace, Grace. And I got a first class seat. I'm like, man, we, no wonder people think we're cuckoo crazy people. I'm like, where, in that is, where is that in the Bible? Just say, Grace, Grace, and you get everything you want. I need a new car. Grace, Grace, I got me a car. And I, this whole four years ago, we could have got a new building back then if I'd have just said, Grace, Grace. My dad was alive. He'd be going, I know, my dad. We, did, we, uh, we, we both were like, and I was a little boy, and I was like, this guy seems cuckoo. <laughs> he was cuckoo. We think sometimes that that's, God wants me happy. Well, that's a beautiful thought. Just where's that scripture? No, God wants you complete. God wants you perfect, which means complete. He wants you to be what he wants you to be. He wants you to reflect the image he wants you to reflect. And so this stuff of, he just wants me happy. I mean, imagine, imagine that. If he, if he just wanted you happy, you would just run all the company, get all the cars you want. Your football team would always win the Super Bowl. I mean, like, he just wants you happy. what in the world? He is more interested in my development than he is my happiness. I don't want to be just comfortable. Now, it's scary to say that because certainly I'm not like, I just hope he makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to wake up tomorrow morning and just deal with miserable things. I don't enjoy those things. I don't want to just be comfortable. I want to be more like him. And so I have to trust him in this journey that, mm, you know, that situation, that one, this didn't work out. This happened. The doctor said this. We had this interaction. We had this. I don't enjoy this. However, yet will I praise thee. I will walk by faith. I will not walk by sight. I will, I will not walk after the flesh. I'll walk after the things of the Spirit. God, I'm going to trust you in this circumstance that I, I'm not enjoying. I don't think Joseph was hanging out in the pit and being like, you know, it's freezing. It's dark. It's disgusting down here. Bugs are crawling me. This is fun. I don't think that he was doing that. I don't think David was running from cave to cave and spears getting chucked in his head being like, duck down, this is awesome. I don't think he does that. But yet you'd read, I'm reading right now the Psalms. And it, it's amazing, so often you'd read a Psalm where it starts off with David going, my enemies are all around me. Life is terrible. I feel like I'm gonna die. But by the end of the Psalm, he's going, but I will continue to trust in you. I will continue to walk with you. I will continue to just worship you and pursue you. I'm adding my language. But it's incredible. Read the Psalms. He had humanity, human moments where he's like, this isn't fun. I'm not enjoying this. This is a struggle. This is confusing. My enemies around me, people are, I was reading one today where he's essentially saying, even the people close to me are stabbing me in the back. But then it comes around to, but I'm going to keep trusting you. 
And that's so much of what the Christian journey is. As he goes, we go, God, I'm going to trust you that what you're doing is going to be perfect so that I can be perfect. Again, that doesn't mean without flaw. That means complete. I want to be complete. I want to reflect you. So I'm not, my goal is not going to be, well, I'm going to serve God wholeheartedly when things are going well. But when things are not making me happy, I'm going to curse God and die. No, I'm going to say, my flesh right now is dying but yet will I praise thee. My happiness is not exactly what I'd like it to be, but I want, but my joy is there because I know I'm being molded and shaped by the potter. Here's something I want you to hear today. I've preached this before. I may have preached it. I've heard this preached. I've even, I might have even preached it myself. But many people think that tests are designed to produce things in us. Anyone ever heard this before? No, I'm the only human that's ever heard this before. Okay. Tests are designed to produce stuff in us. And that might happen. But tests are actually designed to reveal what is already there. So often... God's going to take you through this test to develop things in us. No, no, no. He's going to take us through the test to reveal what's already there. The tests and trials a Christian endures are not always God-caused, but they can always be God-used. Don't blame everything on God, like, okay? But God will use these things. That's why Joseph could say, don't worry, guys, you meant this for evil. But God went ahead and used this for good. God may not have caused Joseph to walk through the crucible of abuse by his brothers. But he certainly used the trial to reveal something good. In fact, every season of Joseph's life revealed his true character. Every season from his brothers to Potiphar's wife to the prison to gaining the, the, the trust of the warden there to being forgotten, to standing before Pharaoh. Everything revealed his character. Joseph had a strong moral compass before he was thrown in the pit. It was not developed in the pit. His, his moral compass was strong before he was lowered into the pit. His moral compass was strong before Potiphar's wife grabbed his coat and said, come to bed with me. It's not where, we're not going to go. You know what? Oh, this lady's trying to seduce me and pull my coat. Let me see where I stand on this matter. His moral compass was already set before the moment of temptation came. There has to be some things in our lives, speaking to everybody, definitely young people, you got to know what you stand for before the moment comes to you. There has to be a moral compass before the issue ever arises. It was not developed. After. The tests he went through revealed what was already inside of him. Character is not developed in the test, it's refined in the test. Tests cannot make us something that we are not. 
It's not like you just walk in, you're like, I'm a filthy heathen. But then they lured me into the pit, and I came out a different guy. You ever see commercials for stuff or hear about stuff like that? People are like, all you got to do, call today. Use this lotion, and it'll take 20 years off the lines in your eyes. You're like, okay. But somebody's buying it because they're still in business. Everybody's looking for a quick fix. Yeah, I was a filthy heathen, but they dropped me in the prison, and I came out a new man. I went down in a pit, came out a new man. Once she grabbed my coat, I got out of there. I was totally different. I was changed from that day. No, 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 no. What was inside was revealed. Tests cannot make us something we're not. We cannot wait until we're thrown in a pit to develop integrity. You can't wait until we're thrown in a fire to worship God. Oh, Daniel in the lion's den, he stood strong. He stood strong because he was standing strong long before he got thrown in with lions. Christians that say, oh, I know, I would never bow. If they tried to tell me to take the mark of the beast, I would never take the mark of the beast. My like, man, you can't even come to church with a stomachache on a Sunday. You can tell me you can take the mark of the beast. You know what I'm saying? I'm a little tired today, so I got to be careful. No, I'm, I'm serious, though. I'll never take the mark. We're like, you curse God when, when, when your spark plug is out in the car. You know what I'm saying? Like, we have to, we have to understand. No, no, no. The, Daniel didn't develop that when the lions tried to eat him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not come before a fiery furnace and go, oh, it's seven times harder. The guy opened the door. He died. We better start praying. They were already walking in that. So if we're going to call on God when the trial, the test, the fire, the pit, the temptation comes, God, reveal yourself to me. He butter done revealed himself before you get to that moment. And that is, I think, what God is wanting to develop in us because he's calling us into this next season, not only individually, corporately. Because here's the thing, you are the church. Like, we can't separate you from the church. I'm the church, you're the church, we're the church. And so if we're going to do and be what God is calling us to do and be, we have to develop this now so that when the time comes to make a disciple, to witness, to stand strong, to stand against temptation, to the sheaf to arise with integrity, we better be doing this today before the pit comes, before the temptation comes, before the, the trial comes, before the lion's den comes, before the, the fiery furnace comes, before it's time to build a boat because God's going to destroy the earth with a flood. Well, you know, we should probably, the rain starts, oh my goodness, grab my hammer and power tools. What in the world? You better be working on that boat before the, the rain ever starts to come. And so if you're here going, well, you know, I, I got my tools, God's spoken to me, and I intend to eventually get around to building the boat, what in the world are you waiting for? We've got to start today. We've got to go. Our boat needs to be built. It needs to be on the dock. It needs to be ready to, I forget, what's the word that, where you drop it in? Too many people. The launch area? I thought there was a word for it. Anyway. 
I thought there was a word for it. You guys are no help. All right. We got to establish who we are before it ever rains. If you're just here going, well, I'll come to church and we'll see what happens once the temptation arises. There needs to be some things that are off limits. If in your mind right now, there are certain things like, well, I'd probably never do that. I'm not sure about that. Like, not, I, I guess, I mean, I don't know. I don't, that's probably not a big deal. You know what? You better make some hard, fast lines right now. There's some things I don't do. I'm going to set my lines. Entertainment, purity, holiness, consecration, commitment. If my line moves, well, I don't watch that. But when that series comes out, like, what in the world? That's not a line. There has to be some things in us that goes, no, no, no. He and I, if the lion's den comes, I'm ready. Fiery furnace comes, I'm ready. He tells me to build a boat. It's going to be ready before it rains. If somebody comes and tries to grab my coat and pull me with them, I'm going to leave the coat too. Because there's some things they are not up for debate. These are things that he and I have developed these things long before the moments ever came. And that's where he's challenging us about who we are and in our character test. Do we fast when we call a corporate fast quarterly? No, fasting has to be a part of our lives. If we go, oh man, doctor just gave me a bad report. I'm gonna go on a fast for this report. Why in the world were we not fasting before the report came? This has to be a way of life for us. This has to be who we are, not a season. Joseph did not begin to pray and fast with each season. He did not say, oh man, I got in a pit. I better pray. Oh God, I pray, deliver me, Jesus. The relationship went, the relationship began at the up, up here and it continued into the pit. The relationship, he started hearing from God as a young man long before he ever stood before Pharaoh and somebody says, hey, interpret my dreams. We think about that. Imagine Daniel getting called on, interpret dreams. Joseph getting called on. We would be freaking out. Somebody called you up right now and said, hey, Jason, meet me. Uh, I need you to interpret these two dreams I had. I ain't picking on Jason because Becky would probably be the same way. Amy would be the same way, and so would I. Because we'd be like, well, how am I supposed to tell you what your dream is, man? Put me back in the prison. Don't kill me. But you see, he walked in, and I don't sense anything. He says, God's speaking. Here's what he said, and it's going to happen because God spoke it. And here's what you need to do with what God said. Why? Because he had been used to hearing from God. If we're going to call on God when we get a bad report, they let us go off the job, somebody lets us down, a friend betrays us, if we're going to start praying and fasting and calling on God at that point, he's God, God, where are you? I wonder if he's like, I've been wondering the same about you. Where have you been? Because God is wanting to, this next season, he's wanting to do some powerful stuff. But he cannot have a people who call on him when they need him. He wants a people who call on him when they don't feel like they need him. There are going to be times where your brothers or sisters let you down. You might feel low 
What's inside of you? Lust and sexual opportunity will present itself to you. It's the day and age in which we live. There better be safeguards. That's not the time to decide what you stand for. You might feel like God's forgotten you and all your dreams are gone, but will you continue to be a person of integrity and vision, purity and holiness? It's in the crucible of tests, trials, and fiery furnaces where impurities are removed. Notice what happens to gold during the purifying process. The molecular structure of gold is not changed. It was gold when it went into the crucible. However, the fire of the crucible, the crucible, it purified the gold. And that's what God wants to do to us. When the heat gets turned up, we go, God, where are you? Everything around us just feels like the heat has turned up. It has. But he's not trying to destroy you. You were gold when you went in. But he wants to purify you for what he's calling you to be. Tests do change us, but only if we allow the test to bring us face to face with what's actually inside of us. We're going to talk more about what's inside of us next week. It's not really a series, but it could be. Because this is what God is working on right now. To stare our, our weaknesses in the face and to not make excuses. We can go ahead right now. He's talking to someone else. It's not me. Because that's the thing about this kind of stuff. Is when we talk about the character test, walking with him, examining ourselves, not walking after the flesh, walking after the spirit, it's always a message for someone else. But for us to pass the character test and be who he's calling us to be, we have to be willing to stare ourselves in the mirror and go, what is in here? What's in here right now? What's inside of me? Maybe that's why the Apostle Paul says something that sounds absolutely crazy to us modern readers in Philippians 3. He says, if you, if I want, he says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him. I, I, I have not conversed with anybody recently that said that. Praise the Lord. Imagine our guest relations team. Hey, welcome to Refuge Church. Do you want to suffer with Jesus? Come on in. I'll help you find a seat. He says, I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from Wow. He couldn't wait for fiery trials to come so he could have faith, godliness, peace, and patience because he understood, I walk by faith, not by sight. My goal is not just to be happy. I want to be like Christ. I want to experience eternity. So what is the number one goal of your life today? Is it kids to get into a good school, live in a nice house, have a good retirement, climb the corporate ladder, kids to become world-class athletes, be a Chiefs season ticket holder, be comfortable, 
have more free time? I mean, what's the goal? What's, what's, what's making you tick right now? Or is your daily prayer, God, whatever you need to do, make me more like you. Do what you need to do to develop me. God, help me to reflect your image. Don't let me stay the same. Mold and shape me in your glory. Use me for your glory. Open doors for me to teach or bring someone to a weekly Bible study. Open doors for me to share my faith. Help me to see people through your eyes. What does our prayer life look like? Are we praying at all? And if we do, is it simply, God bless this, provide this, help me to have a good day, bless this, touch my kids, help them? Is it just a, a wish list to make our day happier? Or are we genuinely going to Him every day, going, God, right now nothing matters more than you would see me, mold me, shape me, use me, prepare me? God, help me to be the vessel. Let me reflect your image to people. Help the fruit of your spirit to be in me, the gifts of your spirit to operate from me. Where is the priority right now? Because if we're not careful, the flesh can consume us. We can get to the point where the thing that matters most, and we can almost get to the point where, you know, I'm good. I prayed. I've been praying every single day for the last few weeks. But if the prayers are always, God, help me to get this. Oh, enjoy this. Bless me here. Bless my kids. Bless this. Enjoy the Help me through this. And it's just that, which those things are important too. But there has to be something in there that goes, God, I'm not walking by, by flesh. I want to walk in the spirit. So God, help me to desire spiritual things. Not just fleshly things. I want spiritual things. Here's a word from God that is for all of us, and I'm about done. We will never be what God wants us to be if we walk in the flesh. Walking in the Spirit is often uncomfortable. It's challenging to the flesh, and it's just not easy. But here's the thing about walking in the flesh. You can hear these messages and just say, that's for somebody else. I'm fine. But unless you're willing to find an altar today and go, I'm going to look at myself. What is in here? Where is the priority? Am I walking in the spirit or am I walking in the flesh? The mission of Jesus Christ has never been about comfort and happiness for his people. It's never been about it. I mean, try and tell David, man, David, did you sin? You don't seem like you've always been comfortable and happy. Daniel, you know, you were castrated as a eunuch. You were put over here. Were you comfortable and, 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 and happy? Hey, Paul, you know, you just, they, he, he struck you down on the road to Damascus, and you told us about the stripes and the beatings and getting let down the river and getting in, in, in the side of a wall. And man, were you not serving God? Because you didn't sound like you were always comfortable and happy. You know, Jesus, people betrayed you. They plucked your beard and pushed the crown of thorns in your head. Did you do something wrong? Because you don't really seem comfortable and happy. No, it's because God, through all of time, has always looked at his church and said, my goal is for you to reflect me. My goal is for you to be in my image, to reflect you, me to this world. And so he's looking for a people who are not just looking for pain and suffering, but a people that will say, God, nothing matters more to me 
then if you will just please mold me, shape me, use me, develop me, help me to make disciples, help me to see people through your eyes. I don't want to pray every day just for blessings and career and, and, and money and, and health and all these things. Because at the end of the day, if he chooses to take me tomorrow, I am going to see my Savior's face for eternity. And that's where I want to keep my, my vision and my goal because he wants to develop us. Don't wait till the trial date to start to develop great faith. Our faith has to come before the moment comes. Time is short. God is coming back for his people. We can't wait to start building a boat once it starts to sprinkle. We need to be in the boat. In the launch, I, I think the word was slipway that I was trying to think of ready to launch before the storm comes. And so as you stand to your feet today, I lay this challenge before us because I just feel like last week God shifted things and then this week, and he's already been speaking to me about next week, and he's trying to reach down into the deep, depths of our soul into the inner being of who we are and go, I'm going to work from the inside out. And he goes in seasons and sometimes we'll do a series on external and what we present to this world, which is important. But right now, God is just looking, you know what he's going, I I'm, I'm taking you into a new location, a new space as brother Cisco prophesied over us. But he's saying, but first there's a space in here that I want to get in. You're the temple of my spirit. Spirit, and I want to get in there and I just want to mold and shape some things. Don't wait until you're walking around and feeling the heat of the furnace before you develop a prayer life. The prayer life needs to be strong before the fiery furnace comes. Tests don't produce character. They reveal character. Tests don't produce faith. They reveal our faith. Tests don't produce something new. They reveal what's already there. They don't make you what you are. They reveal what you are. So what are you today? Where are you? Who are you? What's inside? I can't tell you. You have to tell you. Right now, this is a mirror, and God's going, find an altar, and I'm showing you a reflection of yourself and, and what's in your character, what's deep inside. Are you ready for the pit, for the trial, for the furnace, for the offense, for the spiritual attack? Tests will reveal what's there. But I pray that there's a group of people here today that as we make our way, every one of us, to an altar and we begin to look at the reflection of ourselves in a mirror, if that reflection does not look like Jesus, he's trying to speak to all of us today going, hey, I want what's inside not to just look like the things of this world. I want what's inside to look like me. I want it to look like me. I want you to reflect me. And God, I want you to know, even though you don't need my permission, I give you my permission to take this vessel, to take this temple of the living God, of the Holy Ghost, and please love me enough to not let me stay the same. Please, please look at me and don't give up on me. Please mold and shape me into who you are calling me to be. And if I have not been that person, thank you for messages just like this one that call me back away from the things of this world into the deeper things of God, into the things of the spiritual realm, God. This world is fleeting. It's passing, but it's so powerful and so consuming, God, that sometimes we just need to pause and go, God, 
help me please to not walk after the flesh I want to reveal the character test in me and if my character is not what you're calling it to be thank you for showing me today God, I want to be a man of prayer before I need the moment of prayer. I want to be the man of worship before I need that moment of worship. I want to be the man who fasts before I need the, the trial that calls for fasting. Jesus, help us.